Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. Well, hello everyone. Um, I'm recording this, oh gosh, at 8.30 on Saturday night because um, I have, uh, I'm not going to be here tomorrow. I'm going to be traveling tomorrow. So I can't be in two places at one time if I could. That would be super cool. Um, Welcome. Um, some of you may get on this now. Uh, I don't think so, but, um, I'm going to record this, try to let you guys know that it's here. Hopefully you'll see the title and watch it. Um, but yeah, this is, uh, I'm doing this now for tomorrow. I see we got one person who said hello. So hello. Um, I, um, have work tomorrow. So this is what's happening. Um, yeah, so so I've got this is happening right now. I'll be traveling tomorrow, and so I'm recording the service ahead of time, live in front of a studio audience of one. Um, <laughs> me and Carl. So here we are. I just man, I just watched this documentary on Sinead O'Connor, and I have to say, um, Sinead O'Connor is uh, not only my hero, but she is someone who's never made a bad album. She's also someone who suffers from uh, mental health issues, and um, I am, uh, uh, <laughs> yes, expect a selfie. Um, I'm a big fan of hers. I watched her documentary. It's really good. Um, I really hope uh, a lot of folks in the media apologize to her, and I really hope Saturday Night Live invites her back on to sing again. I think that would be really, 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 really cool. Um... So that was very inspiring, honestly, to be able to watch that, that documentary. Um, I didn't even realize I had it, but I have Paramount Plus for my kids because there's like this crazy cartoon that they like and somehow Showtime was free on there. So boom, nice, nice surprise for Jay. So yes, it's revolution after dark. You can only see that it's dark through, through that slight slit right there where I've been working on um, my daughter's shelf because I got the wrong colored spray and screwed it up, but I fixed it today. So yay. Um, so where are we? Listen, I've been reading this book. Um, I, I started reading this book and, and this has a little bit to do with the, t t the talk, the talk, this evening's talk, today's talk, whatever, wherever you're at. Maybe you're listening somewhere. Is this uh, Paulus? Uh, but it is a, uh, it's, it's, it's this guy's, uh, Friendship, it's this guy, Rollo May's friendship with um, Paul Tillich. And it, it's really cool. Um, and it's just talking about their friendship. And I love knowing personal facts about theologians and philosophers and musicians and all these people I admire. I, I feel like it gives me kind of a, another type of insight into their work. And um, sometimes it really speaks volumes if you can see, uh, especially where trauma lies because um, trauma often plays a big part in a lot of our works, <laughs> yours truly. Um, 
And one of the things that, that I was talking about in the book, and I think this is one of the things I would like to do here with Revolution Gathering, is that one of the things Tillich asked people to do is, is, is make the decision to risk to get into a type of thinking in theology and philosophy that is makes a decision to risk and go in and maybe be wrong, maybe screw up, maybe make mistakes, um, maybe find um, some answers while you're at it, but this decision to risk. And I feel like that's what we're trying to do here at Revolution. Uh, I feel like we've always been trying to, like I've always worked to try to be ahead of, of things and, and, and thinking uh, constantly about where people should be and, and how we can be better as a church and things like that. And um, fortunately or unfortunately, it has always got me into quite a bit of uh, trouble. Um, so strange. A, a friend of mine sent me some pictures from, from Cornerstone 2002 um, that I, I, I spoke there. Um, I, got, I used to love to speak at Cornerstone. Like, I thought that was it. I thought that was like, I made it. I'm at Cornerstone. And um, always making the long journey up to Bushnell, Illinois. And uh, so I got to speak there quite a few times, I think five or six times. And um, I really always enjoyed it. Um, but that last year, I got in some trouble. And I remember it was because I was... I had just, I'd done this big study before my talk. I always took that talk super seriously because in this time they had me like doing four or five talks. I actually gave one of my talks to my friend Jeremy Rich and they got mad at me that I gave one of my talks away, but it was like, it's a lot to do, a lot to talk every day. Um, but anyhow, so, so, so I mean, you know, and this was, I, I didn't have a computer at this time. I mean, we had a computer at the office, but that's not how I studied. I studied with all my strongest concordances out, you know, my dad would send me all these different Strong's concordances and the Greek and Hebrew books with the linear, with the notes and you numbers and you find the number and you go, oh, the Strong's number. Okay, I got to look up the number. Okay, what does that mean? And um, I just recently bought one of these again because I realized I don't ever look at biblical dictionaries online. So I just bought this um, expiratory dictionary of the New Testament words. And it's so good because you realize like how these words shift and change and the nuances and and you're able to see uh, things a lot clearer. Um, and, and, and sometimes it makes things a lot more like understandable. It takes away some of the like Lord of the Ringish, you know, magician, miracle worker, which I, he, Jesus did that stuff, but it, it takes away some of that allows you to go, oh, it's not all about like, you know, everything, some of the genes Jesus says are actually practical, you know, and some of the things Paul's saying is practical. It's, they're not asking us to like become super saints or anything um so, so i like that but anyway so i was i was talking at the uh, the cornerstone music festival in 2002 and it would be my last one in bushnell I, I did speak at one in um florida and i got in trouble for that too and i can't remember why i think the, I, I was booked for the wrong day and i don't know i was always causing trouble i didn't mean to cause trouble <laughs> i really didn't um but for some reason, the wires always got crossed, and um, and rightfully so. Speakers probably aren't as on the on the, the high list of, of making sure they're taken care of, you know, and, and 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 things are working for them as much as the musicians. I get that. Um, 
So anyway, I spoke and I, and I found this strong accordance about holiness and holiness as being something that's bestowed upon us, given to us. And I said, you know, holiness isn't something that you long for. It's something that's bestowed upon you. I mean, that's what I said. And this guy goes, oh, come on. In the audience, I'm like, oh. And I'm like, oh, really? So I start talking to him and then realize it's the guy who books all the speakers who is, who is heckling me or talking back to me. And I'm like, oh. And so... I give him the interpretation. I, I, I read the Strong's number and all this stuff because I have it all written down. And then I prayed. And the reason I prayed was because my dad said, if you ever get confused and freaked out in the middle of a talk, just breathe, take a minute, ask everybody to pray. And that's what I did. And we went on and, and, and life went on. Um, you know, so there you go. And it's funny as I was watching the, the Sinead O'Connor doc, it was watching how she did things before her tearing up the Pope picture that, you know, she was already saying things that were getting her in trouble. So I think there's like just type of people who just like to cause trouble and um, that happens. As the older I get, the less I want to cause trouble. Uh, I just, I have to follow my convictions, but I just want to like raise my kids and, and do this work that I love to do, um, which gets harder and harder, but you know, that's what you do. Um, Hello, Central Florida. Someone from Central Florida. Andrea, I think your, your thing just faded away. Well, hello. I hope you guys are doing well, keeping your lights on. We've been thinking about you. Um, I, I, I lived in, in Florida for quite a while. I went to high school in Dr. Phillips, Florida, and Dr. Phillips in Orlando, Florida, and um, also lived in St. Petersburg and went through a few of those hurricanes and um, nothing like this one, but some that were very, very scary. Um, that's a scary thing to go through. Um, unbelievable, the pictures we're seeing back from, from Florida. So um, we are praying and thinking about you guys. Definitely down there. Um, yeah, man, the world is just a crazy place sometime. Um, anyway, so I guess I should probably get another talk. And that's why I wanted to talk with this idea of the decision to risk and I think one of the things we, I continue to try to do with revolution, and I don't know if people see it because, you know, we've been a church traditionally and now we're calling ourselves a gathering because I feel like church is this place where it's kind of controlling and it can be manipulative. And we, we have like the progressive church and the conservative church when it's divided and it's fighting. And I just, you know, I just want to get away from that because I want to do the exact opposite of that is I want to bring people together. I want to have hard conversations and do these things. But that is, comes with a decision that says, I'm willing to risk. I'm willing to have the tough conversations. I'm willing to be patient with others and not be offended so easily and, and listen to the critique that others have towards me. And, and hopefully we will be able to talk about those things together and share those. Um, and I do think this is the way for us to have the, a future within the, the church and to reclaim that name and, and to, to see reformation. And I feel like that, that, that decision to risk that I'm asking you to take is really a big thing. And um, I hope you guys will go along with me on that and take that decision to risk and that we'll continue to encourage more and more people to do that as well, is to to make that decision to risk and try to go to this new place that um, says it, it might, it, it's time to uh, either not maybe either redefine the church or to get back to the roots into the core 
of what the church was at one time or realize that we live in a world and a society that's nothing like the book of Acts or the church in the, Old, in the New Testament um, or the, even like the Galatians community, you know, which I think is closest to what we deal with in, in, in this country. Um, but with social media, with television, with radio, with podcasts, the world is a different place. And so what does that look like for us? And, and what do we do as we become um, disciples? You know, what do we become um, as, uh, you know, what do we become, you know, as apostles of, of, of the church? As we move forward, as we bind and lose things within the church, as we have these conversations, as we go, okay, this is what we got to do something different. And I think there's a lot of places trying things differently and doing things differently, which I think is 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 is, is fantastic. Because um, I don't think the old way works anymore. So I think it's time for a change. But at the same time, I feel like a voice, not even crying in the wilderness. You know, I mean, I feel like I'm crying in like a, you know a band's first gig where five people showed up and I'm going, like, we're going to change. All f the five of us are going to get together and we're going to change the church, capital C. <laughs> and it seems a little insane. Um, you know? So anyway, that's kind of the goal. Is, 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 is That's the idea. That's that's the thing is, is uh, I'm asking you to make a decision to risk. I'm asking my conservative friends to make a decision to risk and not toe the line. I'm asking my progressive friends to make a decision to risk and not toe the line and to uh, think differently, think practically, and, um, but also spiritually. And, and, and I, you know, I'm, I'm very influenced by the teachings of Paul Tillich, by the teachings of Dr. King, um, somewhat by the teachings of Hegel as I get to know Hegel more and more. And, and his relationship with Christianity was really beautiful. And of course, uh, I find out every day uh, more and more that I'm very influenced by uh, another uh, person, uh, my mother, Tammy Faye. Um, she is a, um, a beacon for me in a lot of ways and shines for me. And I've read some of her books. I just read one of her books a few months ago, almost a year ago, um, I Gotta Be Me. And I realized, oh my God, this is where I get so much of my transparency from and my, my feeling, my, my, my willingness to tell stories and my willingness to be transparent and to speak to people, uh, a truth that I feel is there. But with the ultimate hope and ultimate concern is love, is that you are loved, you are accepted. So grace has always been my thing. And grace is the idea of saying you are accepted, like Paul Tillich's talk, you are accepted, which you can Google, it's for free. Um, it's written down, it's not audio, but it's written down and, and you are accepted. That whole concept that you are accepted is part of it, you know, or like my parent, my dad used to always say, might still say, God loves you, it really does, you know, but this idea of what does that mean when we take a look back and take it outside of maybe our church setting or our evangelical glasses or our Lutheran progressive glasses or our mainline denomination glasses and take those off and look at it in a different unique way into today's world, especially a world that so wants us to be polarized and to pick a side and do things like that, you know, and I don't feel like that's the way to go. So I do have a lot of ground to cover. That's why I'm talking 100 miles an hour. It's also late at night. No, I haven't done one at late at night. Maybe we should do more late at night. I don't know. You guys can tell me if you like it. Um, 
What did you do on Saturday night? Oh, I watched uh, Jay talk about Jesus. Yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> pretty crazy Saturday night. Um, you can all go to brunch tomorrow instead. Um, so one of the things I, I was looking at um, and thinking about was, was the 1 John 4. Now, and I really like 1 John 4, but I've always kind of struggled, but there's parts of 1 John that I struggle with. And I think 1 John 4 really makes those clear of like what the most important things are. And so then when you look at the other things, you can kind of go, oh, 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 you know, and that's the thing about these letters is they're letters. And so they're not meant to be just like made in little chunks, you know, they're meant to be read all the way through. And, and we do them in little chunks, obviously for time's sake and commenting and philosophy and theology and, and uh, all that good stuff. Um, but one of the things I want to challenge you to do right now is, like I said, it's like this end of magical thinking, this end of, I'm not saying, you know, like get rid of miracles. I don't want to give up miracles. My mom believed in miracles. I've seen miracles. If you guys know my friend Steve, uh, who's survived AIDS and is still alive and is a wonderful man, the guy is a walking, talking, breathing miracle. Um, but what I'm saying is, is that we kind of get rid of some of the magical thinking that we don't and some of the way of reading the Bible as a law book, you know, as like a legal book to um, make other people do what we want them to do. I think that's been a big part of the church's downfall. And the biggest problem with the church is trying to say, like, you have to think like us. You have to believe like us. You have to do what we interpret this book to say. And um, that's probably why I have suspect device written on my Bible. Um because it's this idea that we, you know, we want to control you. We, and, you know, and you're like, oh, you can come to our church, but if you want to be a member, which is a super part of our church, then you have to agree with everything we say and be underneath our authority and things like that. And I think that's where we start to lose our way a little bit because we just start to say, well, this, we as a group or as a, a denomination or as a, a board of directors have decided this is the truth so you can't you don't question it and the last thing i would want is a group community who's saying like you can't question me like of course question me that's how i become sharper that's how i understand how to think but that's also how i change my mind and repent which just means change mind or change my way that's by people saying jay have you ever thought of it this way one of the greatest things about working on one of my books what the writer was is he kept asking me like, well, how would I say this to my child? Or how would I, how would I say this? To, and I'm going like, oh man, yeah, I didn't think of it like that way and that way. So you're constantly kind of developing new pathways and, 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 and new ideas. And, and sometimes you just got to go like, damn, I, I messed that up. I didn't see that as clearly as I, I thought I did. Um, so this idea of ending magical thinking, you'll see why I'm saying that here. In 1 John, beloved, and first, uh, first John 4, beloved, do not believe in every spirit. So we're talking about spirits, which seems a little, but, <coughs> but listen to this and listen to what the spirit it's talking about. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit to see whether they are from God or many false prophets have gone into the world. So when it's saying spirit, it's saying, what is this person saying to you? What is this person bringing to you? Like, what is the message here? So it's, what's the spirit of the message? is what it's saying. So you can kind of see it a little more practical and a little less like, oh, there's like a floaty orb, you know, giving us religious, you know, a burning floating orb giving us religious commands. You know, we, we just, we, 
I just think we have to, we live in this world and we have to live in this world on, you know, live, you know, live life on life's terms is one of the things we say in the 12 step groups. You learn to live life on life's terms. And what I've learned to do is kind of look at the Bible in life's terms and, and try to see that in that way. Um, for many false prophets have gone into the world, but this you know, the spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come to the flesh and from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Now, hold on. Hold on to my, my atheist friends and my, my uh, agnostic friends and my other friends of different beliefs and faiths. Let's just continue to look into this a little bit further. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, on which we have heard that it is coming. And now that it already in the world, little children, you who are far, you who from God and have conquered them, for the one who is in the greatest then who is in the world, they are from the world. Therefore that they say is from the world and the world listens to them. So it's saying, you know, sometimes the greatest people are worldly people. Um, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us, which I think is a little bit, come on. Whoever, who's ever of God listens to what I have to say. I have a little, see, and I told you I have issues. I, and this is why I'm asking you to make a decision to risk, is make the decision to risk to sometimes go like, okay, I'm going to hear you out because I am going to hear him out because it gets better. But at this point I'm going like, oh, so if I listen to you, then that's, you know, it sounds a little like, oh, I'm God's chosen, so listen only to me. Um, we are from God. Whoever knows and listens to us is whoever is not from God does not listen to us. From this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now, this is where, after this is where it gets a little more clear what the person's saying. But if you just took like this verse, you know, it would be different. And it's funny because it talks about like, you know, there are um, many false prophets who have gone out into the world. And I mean, just this past week, I was being confronted as a false prophet, which is really interesting because I don't get that as much anymore and being an ear tickler and, and things like that. Um, but when it says here, right, listen to this, when it says, it is not from God, and this is the spirit of the Antichrist in which the spirit of the Antichrist in which you have heard that it is coming. Now, I want to talk to you a second for about that. What is Antichrist? So in order to understand Antichrist, you're going to have to understand Christ. Okay, and so to me, Antichrist is rebuilding the old law. For me, Antichrist is saying I have to do something in order to be accepted. For me, Antichrist is hating your enemy. For me, Antichrist is not loving your neighbor as yourself. Um, to me, is 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 jiving straight into capitalism and getting rich even when you see other people below you broken and you just decide, I just need more. Who cares that these people can't pay rent? You know, I don't want to pay them a living wage because if I pay them a living wage, then I can't have my other jet or my other thing or I can't do this. I mean, I'm simplifying it, but you get what I'm saying? Um, so, you know, so, so you have all these people struggling and, and poor and they can't get up and you have like five the richest people in the world running everything and you're going like what's going on well that's kind of that like antichrist spirit because it's not worried about the community it's not worried about the neighbor it's not worried about the least of the and it's not worried about the enemy 
Um, so that makes it a little bit clearer rather than some guy in like a suit who's like, I'm going to be the president and I'm the Antichrist. And like all the movies I saw growing up as a kid, like it's almost comical. And because it says spirit, it doesn't say like human, it doesn't say like the guy is going to show up and be like, and if you want to talk about Revelation with me, one day I'm going to do a talk on Revelation. And the reason I want to do a talk on Revelation is so we can explain uh, what it is. Now, yeah, now I was just thinking the other day, because I'm doing a lot of work on this documentary about my folks. And, um, and there was a, a person back there, back in those days, involved with my parents and... and the guy really seemed to be really into like working with preachers who were like demanded that their way or the highway, you know, want politics and Christianity to be, you know, intertwined, uh, hate, you know, no gay rights, you know, all this stuff, just anti everything. And it was like these group of people who were just known for everything they were against. And I don't think what people got from Jesus's message was what he was against. I think what people got from Jesus's message was, oh, there may be some hope for me too, you know? And even when Jesus made it sound hopeless, like remember the Samaritan woman at the table and she goes, well, Lord, will even the dogs get crumbs from the table, right? And he goes, you're, you're right. I mean, Jesus has this moment of like, oh, you're right. It's not just the Jews, you know, it's the Gentiles too. We see something miraculously, we see this miraculous thing happen in this story with Jesus and we just kind of read over it like, oh, well, that was, he just did that so someone could write it down and put it in a story, you know. It's like, no, I mean, this, if, if that happened, Jesus had a moment. If Jesus had to go through Samaria to speak to a Samaritan woman who was rejected amongst even the Samaritans who were rejected by the Jews, you see that Jesus is, is drawn to all these different types of folks. You know, and so when the Samaritan woman, woman at the well goes back into her community, she goes, come meet someone who told me everything about me, you know, she, and, and, and seems to still accept me. And this guy's got some good news and it's like, it doesn't matter where we're going to worship from now on. I mean, there's something going on. You, you've got to come see this guy. Like she becomes the first Samaritan evangelist. So it's like, right. And someone asked me if I was referring to a certain person. That was one of the people I was, yes. Um, but going to do 1 John 4, 7. Um, it says, Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who love is born of God and knows God. Now, how different is this from what we just read just a second ago where it says, you know, if you have Jesus and you claim Jesus is your personal, you know, then, you know, and now all of a sudden John shifts and says, love each other. If someone loves you, they know God. So something's happening here. There's a shift, which is make it what he's doing. Kind of what I just did with the Antichrist spirit thing is he's saying the Antichrist spirit is those who don't know love. Those who, who don't have love for others. And so how do we love others? You know, how do we learn to love others? It takes patience. It takes this, you know. Unfortunately, I think in the church, we have a lot of, like, counterfeit love of, of like, well, let's just dig our feet in the sand and tell people they're really bad. And then we'll tell them that we're telling them they're bad because we love them. 
and they, I'm not saying that these folks don't actually believe that, but it's often this very conditional way of saying, you know, you're bad, I'm good, you don't have it figured out, you gotta get it figured out in order to be like me. And that's not the message of grace. That's not the message of Christ. That's not the message of Paul. Um, you might be able to argue that James has a bit, a little bit of that flair, and P the first Peter has a little bit of that flair. Um, but I would also be able to argue the James one pretty well. First Peter, I probably have to go through one more time and, and have a talk about that. Um, whew. So, beloved, let us love one another because love is from God, and everyone who, lo God, who loves is born of God and knows God. Um, like I said, this book is not issue-free, but I feel like this covers a lot of the issues I have with this book. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. And I've always thought this was interesting because usually when I've talked about this verse, particularly God is love or said God is love, um, especially like 15 years ago, um, <laughs> A lot of my neo-Calvinist friends would be like, Jay, love is only one. Jesus is, God is more, more than just that. God, you know, one of them, I think God is probably the, found, the ground of being, not really a being. And maybe God is outside of existence, you know, because he, or maybe God is a being. I mean, there's lots of questions, okay? Lots of questions of what God is and what God isn't. And I'm not going to solve those today in this talk. But. Whoever does not love God does not know God, for God is love. So in 1 John, one thing that sometimes people, it's funny when people, literalists, don't like to take things literal. And this is one of those facts where you have to pay attention where they don't like to take this literal because they like to say, well, go back here and go back here. You know, I'm like, well, this is the new covenant. This is Christianity. We're dealing with something new. And 1 John is stating that God is love. I have a friend of mine who says, you know, I just don't want to have anything with God. You know, love is my thing. Love is my thing. And I always think to them, like, well, that's, that's God. I mean, love is infinite. Love is something you pass on, you know. There's still aspects of people who loved me as a young child that I'm still passing on, you know. I can think of people. I name them. Tommy Stamps, George Gardner, uh, Beth Mills. <laughs> Don Hardister. I mean, these were people who were security guards who worked for my parents. Uh, Vias Vito, who was a therapist who worked for me. These are people who showed me love and grace that I thought, this is something special here. These people see me. I feel seen. I feel connected to. I feel loved. And this is something I want to pass on to other people. This is something I want to pass on with my, my kids. And you go, well, what were those? I'll give you an example. George, teaching me how to tie my shoes. Tommy, throwing, changing me how to throw a spiral football in the effort and ride my bike. You know, my dad was really busy, but these guys took these small moments and allowed me to feel valuable, accepted, loved. And I think that's stuff we often take for granted. Um, also, when my dad was in prison, there was this pastor named Phil Shaw, who was a Assemblies of God pastor in Rochester, Minnesota who just, when my dad came, he was like, I'm going to visit Jim, and I'm going to say, Jim, I'm here for you. I'm going to pick up your family. I lived with Phil Shaw for a while when I was working on my dad's appeal. You know, it was just one of those things where there were these people who just were like, you know, we didn't, you know, I've talked about a pastor last week about like, you know, one of these pastors who was just like, we didn't agree on anything, but I felt love. I felt acceptance. I felt and maybe that presence of love is, 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 is somehow the presence of the infinite, 
within our finiteness because our finiteness passes away. Some of these people who pass away and are gone, via Azvito, she's gone. But I still felt that love and that grace, even though we disagreed on a lot of theology, you know? Um, God's love was revealed amongst us in the way God sent his son into the world that we might live through him. And this love is not that we loved God. Now listen, it's not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent God's son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Be loved. Since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us. So the question of who do I love? What do I love when I love my God? What do I love when I love God? And this is even like if you're a Christian atheist, let's say, you know, I don't really, but I like the principles. I don't believe in the spiritual stuff, but you know, but, but you, you take it this way. How you take this is, is, um, you know, well, how do I love a God that I don't even know that is there? I love the other. I love the least of these. I love my enemies. Now this is, takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. There'll always be people who are just too hard to love that you're going to have to pray for and hope that somebody else loves and, and you're going to deal with that. And there'll be times where you can do it, but life is a roller coaster sometimes, a lot of ups and downs. Um, but if we love another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us when we love others. And it's like working out. It's like going to the gym, you know. Um, one of the things I loved about working with Soul Force, which is this uh, Christian gay rights activist group, and we practiced uh, Dr. King's and Gandhi's ideas of nonviolence. But we would go in and we would meet with different churches that were, you know, not supporting gay people, had these like, you know, members with, uh, gosh, what was it called? The, the Exodus International, you know, these will pray the gay away, straighten you out kind of thing. And we would go meet with these folks and we would try to love these folks right where they were at. You know, we would try to meet these people right where they were at. And um, and we'd have tough conversations. We'd have hard conversations. We would show the best love and best grace we could. For me, sometimes I was the bad cop because, you know, all my LGBT friends were able to be able to tell their stories. And then I was like the irate straight ally going like, you guys got to get this together. <laughs> um, and we had some successes. But after every time we would have these these meetings with people where we'd have a protest or something like that we'd always have a debriefing where we came back into a room and sat down and we talked and sometimes we cried sometimes we laughed sometimes we you know it was just you never know what it was but you had to like reset after that intense moment of trying to love those who don't necessarily love you or love you in a very conditional way and can't accept you completely and so we would have to literally recover. And I, and I think of it in a way of like a workout as you work out and then afterwards you got to drink some chocolate milk or power milk or whatever. As you can tell, I'm not a big gym guy. Um, but it's that constant, you know, working, talking out what worked, what didn't work, you know, what's, what, what's happening. And so it's a process of learning to love people. And what I love is like, if you look on my latest Instagram message, I put up, um, Dr. King's daughter put up a thing of nonviolence. And the last one, six, all these six different ideas of, of for 
nonviolence, and six is, re is reconciliation. So reconciliation is the point of nonviolence. It's not to be right. It's not to rule over people. It's to be reconciled into a family of love. Love, reconciliation, grace. You know, like in, Corinth in Galatians, you know, if you think you're too good to reconcile or, or, or help someone back up on their feet, you're fooling yourself. So reconciliation is always the point. Now, if you hear this type of message, um, and I think this is the type of message that is revolutionary, I think it is a type of message that is reformation-worthy, is this is good news. And we start to share the good news with others. And um, so... Um, uh, someone's disagreeing with me about MLK and, and something. I, I missed it, so I'm sorry. Um, I, I've read almost every book MLK's written, and I've read some of Gandhi's work as well. So I'll just, that's my defense there. And I also have a bunch of King's speeches and uh, on records. <laughs> that's just one, but I have a bunch on, on, on vinyl. Um, and on my phone. Um, anyway. But reconciliation was, was the point. You know, like, and I don't think the idea, and I, th I will say with this, is it was like you can't force someone to love me, but if we are able to change laws and things, at least they'll keep them from lynching me. Um, but I think reconciliation played into that. Um, I think the idea of Dr. King saying that um, people aren't my enemies, um, uh, misinformation is my enemies, is a very clear point that there was love involved in that. Um, 13 says... By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us the spirit. And what is the spirit now? What's going on in us? That spirit of love that we just talked about. And we have seen and do testify to the Father has sent his Son, the Savior of the world. God abides in those who confess that Jesus is the Son of God. Here we go again. And abide in God. So we have known to believe in love that God has for us. So once again, it's saying for those who abide in God, but... John, first John just said, God is love. Those who abide in God. So those who abide in love. Um, I recently had a person I really respect really well tell me that he didn't think it could really teach people how to love. There had to become an instinct or something. I, I disagree a little bit there. Um, I do think we can teach each other to love. I think we can teach each other to, to do patience. And I think that comes from tough conversations, good conversations, and recommending good books. Um, a letter from a Birmingham jail is fantastic. Another fantastic letter that I kind of think should have been canonized in the Bible because it was pretty amazing. Um, again, as we look here at the end of uh, 16, before 7, it says, God is love and those who abide in love abide in God and God abides in them. So once again, just following that, it reiterates God is love. So I think when we judge people by their fruit, we have to ask, is there love there? Is there peace? Is there patience? Is there kindness? Is there joy? Is there love? And what does that look like? And, um, you know, it might be more wishy-washy. It might be a little more universalism for some of you. It might make you uncomfortable. It's okay. I'm, I'm here to make you uncomfortable. I'm here for the pushback. I just wish the comments would stay up longer so I could interact a little more with you guys. Um... Love has been perfected. 
amongst us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment, because that as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. And so here's another thing is that when we work with people, when we, we don't need to rule by fear or by guilt. And, and for me growing up, when a lot of different pastors I'd worked for when I was younger and things like that, there were, or youth groups and things, there was a lot of guilt involved, um, often a lot of fear, you know, like the man of God, you know, and so you kind of like, well, I feel a little bit like, you know, I knew other Christians who I just felt like shame around all the time, like, oh, I'm not good enough to be around them. Like, I don't feel like a real Christian when I'm around this person. Um, I felt judged and things like that. Um, and so that creates the idea of, well, what about fear God with all your heart and all your mind? You know, what about fear God? And then you have to look at the translation for that particular fear and that nuance. There's nuance. There's these different meanings for singular words in the English that we don't, that, that, that the Greek and Hebrew have. And so fear is often, it's not saying fear God, it's saying respect, awe, and wonder with God. It's it's the awe and wonder. It's the reverence. It's not the, I'm afraid. <laughs> so, um, because if perfect love casts out all fear, then then, then this book is, needs to be torn out <laughs> as well. Um, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. So when we're working with one another and we're having these tough conversations, I guess the thing to ask ourselves and to ask even those we're communicating with through these tough conversations is, are we providing a place where love is felt or are we providing a place where there's fear is felt, you know? And if there's fear, then maybe it's time we back up and go, oh, this is gonna be a little bit of a longer relationship. This is gonna be a few conversations. This is not gonna just be one conversation. Then maybe there's gonna be some reading books together, you know, that type of thing. Um, Love has been perfected amongst oh, okay. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. For fear has to do with punishment. Hear that? Fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. Those who say, I love God and hate a brother or sister are lying. But I want to see, we'll read this one more time. Whoever fears, we love, okay. Right here it says, love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And I don't know how about how many of you have felt, and this is where I have issues with my father's theology, with some of my friends' theology, who are like end of days people, or God's wrath is coming upon you, or street preachers that we often see, or like these really macho Calvinist, neo-Calvinist guys who are like, yeah, and then God's going to burn everybody, and blah, blah, you know, and there's this fear, 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 you know, and so when you're pushing fear and, and trying, you know, and that's the old thing. I mean, I remember as a kid, you know, hearing so many things like, if you were to drive home tonight, um, there's no conversation, Jay, you're the only one talking. Okay, Joseph, I'm sorry. I've, this is a sermon. This is a talk. I'm, I'm encouraging you to have tough conversations. And I'm sorry that I'm the only one talking because this is a talk. That's how talks work. So, you know. Um, I don't have your comment literally comes up for two seconds and then disappears. Um, so, and, and this goes out to hundreds of people who listen online. Um, but you know, you could send me a direct message on Instagram if you'd like. Um, 
that perfect love casts out all fear. And um, for fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. So when we're casting fear or we're sitting in fear, there's something missing because if we were to be perfected in love, to build that love that never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance, that's Corinthians 13, four through seven. If we have that type of love, we're able to sit within it and not have that fear. Um, when the church is continuously, this is the thing I was gonna talk about before the, the, the text came up. Um, is, is that I remember going to a sermon where we were like, it's like, if you go, you know, he would tell me, this preacher would say, oh, there was this guy and he was at my, my, my rally and I was speaking and, you know, and he felt called to come up to the front, but he didn't that night and he felt bad and he just couldn't do it. He just felt like he was too bad. And unfortunately that night he got onto his motorcycle and got onto the highway and was in an accident and died and went to hell because he never met Jesus, you know? I remember another pastor one time he had the microphone and he was going, boom, 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 boom. If you were to die tonight, you know, so that's manipulation, okay? That's fear. That's fire insurance. That's life insurance. That's saying it's all about heaven or hell. And that's where we miss it. We, we miss this point. We get so minded towards an afterlife that we forget, that we, we forget to believe in life before death because we're so worried about life after death. And I don't have a whole lot of answers for you about life after death. But I want to see us to be able to live well and to build a community and see a long-lasting change that my kids will be a part of a different church, your children and your family will be different parts of the church, the church will become something that's brand new, interesting, and where conservatives and progressives and Democrats and Republicans and black and white and gay and straight can come together and learn to not fear each other and to love each other and grow from those relationships. But it sounds like pie in the sky right now, you know? Um, but you gotta talk about it. We gotta talk about it. We gotta say this is good news, you know? And supposedly the Bible says people who bring good news are the feet, are beautiful feet. And so I want us to be beautiful feet. But like I said before, is like Tillich was saying in his teachings is that we have to make a decision to risk. And are you willing to make that decision to risk? You know, like earlier a comment, this is said, you know, oh, Jay, you're the only one talking. We're not having a conversation. Well, I'm not asking you to have a decision to risk to have just a conversation with me, but I'm asking you to have the decision to risk to have the conversation with other people in your life, maybe church people or non-church people, or when these issues come up of, you know, that you're so set on that maybe you're willing to say, hey, let's have a conversation and hear each other. Let's not talk past each other. Let's not just send a little message on, on social media that just tears each other apart. Let's hear what the other is saying. Now, sometimes if we hear what other people are critiquing about us, we're able to kind of see what, through their experiences, through their lives, through the things that they've learned, through their own traumas, what they're feeling from us, even if that's not what we intend to put out there. And I, I'll give you an example. Um, this is not a big, greatest example, but it's the one that comes to mind at first. When I lived in Los Angeles, California, I lived, uh, my dad was at this place called the Dream Center in LA. And it was the big Assemblies of God mission thing. They bought this old hospital and they had all these different types of ministries in there and all this kind of stuff. And um, 
I lived on the grounds. I lived on the property and I lived in this old nunnery uh, called Casa del Grande, the big house. And so I lived in there with a bunch of different people. And to, to go from there into the hospital, there was this, you know, about a half a mile street, little street, little place, just kind of like a par was a par originally a parking lot that I would walk across. And I've always been a very shy, kind of insecure, introverted person. And so, you know, there'd be all these people and I didn't know what to do. And if I, uh, do I make eye contact? Do I not make eye contact? Do I just say hello? Do I not say hello? You know, so I would just go into my office, you know, I would just walk and, you know, going in my office. And, and then one day I was sitting down with some guys who were um, a bunch of like big ex-gangbangers. And we we're all sitting down and they all had come to talk to my dad and they were all in my room and, and we started talking. And I started saying like, yeah, you know, man, it's like, it's so crazy. Like in that kind of public area, when I walk through, I feel really weird and insecure, you know, and I don't know what to say to anybody. And I don't know what people think. And my mind is moving hundred miles an hour. And this guy goes, really? He's like, cause I just thought you were just an asshole. You know, like, I just thought you were like this stuck up preacher's kid. Like, oh, you're Jim Baker's kid. Your shit doesn't smell. And you thought you were better than us or that you didn't want to have anything to do with us. And I was like, God, that's not at all. You know? And I'm like, dude, you're like a giant guy covered in tattoos who looks super cool. Like I totally want to hang out with you and, and talk to you, you know? And, um, I, I, I would love to talk to you. I honestly, I was just intimidated, you know? And, and like we had this conversation and it was like, we all kind of laughed about it and we all became friends. Um, but it came just because this completely misunderstanding of us not having a conversation, not talking. And it took them to basically just be honest with me and say, he's come off like an asshole. Let me be like, oh, you know, I'm like, it's so funny that we can put on this armor, like we can be insecure and that we just try to protect ourselves and we're protecting ourselves so well that people think that we're, you know, snobbish or, or unapproachable or, or something like that. And when really I was just like, man, I'd really like to have more friends here, you know? So that's part of the, the thing. Um, we love because he first loved us. Those who say I love God and hate their brothers and sisters are liars. For those who do not love brothers and sisters whom they have seen, listen to this, cannot love God whom they have not seen. So it's saying like when we don't love, when we can't love people in front of us, you know, and I think that I wish talks like this would have been given to like parents in like the 80s and 90s who were kicking their gay kids out. I mean, like, man, like putting kid on the street isn't loving them. I mean, that's just not it. It doesn't matter what your church is telling you. It's time to leave that church. You know, that's toxic. You know, your love never gives up. Never lives. Always hopeful, endures through every circumstance. You know, you, these are your children. You know, um, what do I love when I love my God? I love the other. Well, your, your children are even more than the other. You know, it's like that, that's how you. We, we experience love is through each other. And so, you know, when we see this, like, how do I love, you know, I'm not, I can't claim to love this entity that's the space God or the ground of being or the, uh, that which exists outside of, that which is outside of existence that, you know, what was Caputo said, God doesn't exist, God insists. That's a lot of philosophy that would spend time to take apart. Maybe we can get Pete to come in and talk about that. Or maybe John Jack Caputo himself to come talk about that. That would be fantastic. Um, 
For those who do not love their brothers and sisters whom they have seen cannot love a God whom they have not seen. The commandments that we have from him is this, those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. And so that's what we're called to. That's the idea. And, and, and it's not, it's not rocket science. It's not, when, when the Bible talks about love, it's not talking about a different type of love that we don't understand, you know? It, it, it's not, you know, it's not talking about a like, oh, well, this love disrespects and demands its own way and, and belittles people for not being where they need to be. It's not that. I mean, there is times where you do speak truth to people, like Dr. King speaking truth to, to racists. And, and things like that. I mean, there's times where I speak truth to my legalistic friends, and there's sometimes I, 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 I speak truth to, like, I've got a friend who's a, who's a proper theologian, you know, but they always take these cheap shots to, to my conservative brothers and sisters, and I go, hey, you're better than that, man. Like, you've got all this knowledge, you know. <laughs> you've got all these degrees. <laughs> you're better than that, and I think you're being a bit of a freaking progressive fundamentalist. And I said, but listen, the only reason I'm telling you this is because I do truly care about you, because I do truly respect your work, and I do respect what you're doing, but I think you're missing something here, you know? And that was a hard conversation to have, um, but we had that conversation. Now, and I've had similar people come up and have that similar types of conversation with me, like, hey, you said you love everybody, and that everybody can work here or volunteer here, but you don't want me to volunteer because of A, B, or C. And I have to sit down and go, like, oh, you're right, you know? Like, I didn't realize I kind of had, like, this everybody's welcome, but this person, you know, or this, this thing that I don't understand, you know? And I was like, you're right, you know? And I said, I'm sorry, and I said, let's do this. And we did, and it changed my life. And it was very uncomfortable when he first said it to me. I felt like I, like, I felt like this big. I was like, oh, I was wrong. <laughs> um, so, this idea of love, this perfect love that casts out all fear, these ideas that how do we, you know, we have to love the other. The prime example in my life for this type of love was my mother. I mean, I would watch my mother, we'd go shopping, we'd go to the malls, we'd go to flea markets, and she liked to shop. That was her therapy. And we'd be in the public a lot, and it made me kind of uncomfortable because everybody's looking at my mom, and I'm, in, like I said, an introvert guy, so I'm always kind of like walking behind her a little bit, and people are stopping her, and I'm just sitting there, Hi. <laughs> and uh, people would often say sometimes very mean things to her, you know, and if they said mean things to her, sometimes I would react in a very aggressive way. But my mother was like, no, 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 honey, you know. She'd be like, hey, listen, if you're going to talk about me, at least meet me. And she'd introduce herself, and she'd my name's Tammy, and blah, blah, blah. And she'd start talking to them. And she always tried to love those who persecuted her. And, and it's really ridiculous that my mother, Tammy Faye, people have made movies, and Elton John's making a play about it, and everybody's doing this thing. But how I knew her is this person who did her best to love people, even when they treated her like shit, even when they treated her like a laughing stock when they made fun of her. She didn't change because they made fun of her. She just said, this is who I am, and at least meet me, at least give me a chance. You know, you've only seen what the news says about me. You've only seen the media. You've only got a caricature of me, but this is who I am. You know, I'm Tammy Faye, who obviously likes to go to flea markets just like you. 
you know, and this is my son, and he likes to get, you know, Guns N' Roses bootlegs, you know, whatever I was buying back then. And um, so, you know, I learned so much from her. And, you know, so I was thinking about that, and all my doubt and the many issues I have with the church, all which are many, and even some of the, the issues I have with the Bible as well. Um, and that comes from scholarship and reading and, 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 and really proper education and investigation into the Bible because I do hold it important. I don't think people realize that sometimes when we're critical of things, it's because those things are very important to us and we love them and we want people to see that. Um, but... You know, you know, also the fear we have to conform to those ideals, uh, to conform to certain ideals and certain ways and certain traditions of the church and, and certain ways the church is set up. And I've seen it many times where people have just felt back into the old way of thinking just because it's comfortable. You know, legalism works. <laughs> There's boundaries. It's not, you know, free and dilly like grace. And it's, you know, it's, there's, you know, black and white, and there's answers, and, and they think it's free of contradiction, but I'll tell you what, nothing is free from contradiction. There's contradictions in everything. And um, something, some contradictions we can confront, and then some contradictions we learn to live with, and that's okay, because sometimes there's something even greater than the truth that comes above a contradiction. Um, but, but we often have the fear to go back and to conform into those things, also because of the cost. What happens if, if it, if it, you know, it costs me everything if I follow my convictions. What if it costs me this? And, and watching the, the, um, the, the Sinead O'Connor documentary earlier, you know, she had this conviction because she, she knew about, you know, she was reading all about the molestation that, was, that were happening by priests in the church. And so she ripped up a picture of the Pope. And it cost her her career for a long time. You know, of course, now we're all going, oh, she was right. Oh, we should have listened. Oh, she's a hero, you know. And that's great. And what's really great about that is she's still alive to see this. And so I'm grateful for that. I feel like that's beautiful. Usually people are dead by the time we realize, oh, thank goodness they said that. Um, so, yeah, you know, I've, I've, I feel like I'm at a point where I've, I've, I've sacrificed almost everything just to, to, to do these talks, you know, uh, not everything, but I've sacrificed a lot in my own life, and I've made mistakes in my own life. And there's always this, this, this wanting to, like, maybe if I just worked at a normal church, maybe if I just did this, and, and, and you know, stopped pushing the envelope, stopped reading philosophy, stopped reading theology, didn't, you know, just let that stuff go, or just got a normal job. Um, but that's not the road I, I, I believe, and I believe that. That, that, that this work is a type of a type of art as well. Anyway, my my question is: Will we wake up? Will we risk, or shall we fade away? And if we do fade away, I at least hope that the message of love and that God is love and that love is infinite, and and the true meaning of love is like loving your enemies, not just loving those in your own group or you know those in your own world, woes who are just like you. 
um, that we'll learn to live in that, you know, and and that we'd be able to learn to I just saw learn to love in the gray area, and get away from the black and white thinking and from all the uh, the, the binary thinking and. And, and, and that we are able to live within the dialectics. We're uh, too negative. Sometimes there's truth in both those things and even a greater truth when we look at the dialectics of those things. Um, but this requires thinking. This requires patience. This requires time. This requires studying. And that's why I enjoy this work so much is that it's allowed me to spend time reading philosophy and theology and scholarship and biblical history and things like that. And I'm able to share it with you and hopefully encourage you uh, to join me and make the decision in risking, you know. So I, I hope, yeah, yeah, Sinead O'Connor did convert to Islam. Um, she's converted to a lot of different faiths, um, which is really interesting that faith is something that's a part of her. She's a seeker and she's seeking truth, you know. It's very punk rock. Give me some truth. Oh, didn't find it here. Give me some more truth, you know. Um, so, yeah. I'm not asking you to make any decisions. I'm just trying to say, well, I am. The only decision I'm trying to ask you to make is the decision to risk and, and be a part of the revolution gathering and, um, and just make the decision to risk. Even if it's the only talk you ever listen to and you just decide I'm gonna go out there and risk it and I'm gonna go out and love people and I'm gonna go out and try something different because the church as we know it doesn't seem to be working well. And uh, maybe there's a different way to do it. And uh, maybe we can figure out what that looks like together. Um, maybe it's just living our lives well, you know, and uh, maybe meeting up once a month <laughs> instead of once a week. <laughs> Who knows? I don't. But I'm grateful for you guys listening today. Um, I'm sweating. Sorry, I was... Um, Sorry, I'm not going to be able to talk tomorrow, but that was why I did it tonight. So um, if you know people who listen and you talk to, could you let them know that the talk has already been done? Of course, it'll be available tonight and tomorrow. If someone wants to watch it at 11 because they like habit, it'll be there at 11. It'll be there all the time. Uh, it'll be there as long as YouTube lets us stay. So thank you so much. Hey, if you like what we're doing, if you appreciate what we're doing, if you want to support the work of Revolution, um, there's a couple ways you can do it. You can go to revolutionchurch.com and you can make donation there, which helps me get paid, helps me do this, allows me to do reading things. And I also do another job as well, but it allows me to continue this work and hopefully we'll see where it goes talking to different people about different things with this church. Also, uh, another thing we can do is um, you can just share these talks. If, if this talk touched you and you just tell somebody about it, you know, retweet it, throw it up on Instagram, go to our revolution church, Instagram, and put it in your story and let people know you liked it and watch it. Tell people about it. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Ask people to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Those are other ways that help us do this work. Um, yeah. Thanks a lot, everybody. Have a great week. I'll see you next week. And, um, yeah. See you. Thanks for listening. 
We hope you enjoyed this podcast. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com slash donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website.